if everyone would like to open up Matthew 26, verses 30 to 35. And when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. You know, as much as we would like to think of ourselves as strong Christians... The fact of the matter is that in and of ourselves, we are often very weak. We would like to think that we would never be caught in a situation when we would ever deny the Lord, where we would deny His Word, that we would be ashamed of or embarrassed to name His name or to admit that we're associated with Him. But the truth of the matter is there are times that we do exactly like. Uh, exactly that. We, we find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation at work, perhaps. Maybe a break room, and everybody's sitting around uh, telling off-colored jokes, and you kind of sit there uncomfortable with a kind of a silly smile on your face, uh, not wanting to really join in, but not really wanting to let anybody know that you're, you're, uh, you're not comfortable with it, you're hoping nobody's going to notice that. Or we're out with our friends and uh, kind of going along with the crowd hoping not to be identified with Christ, not, not yet. You know, it's, it's just not the right moment. I might be found judgmental if I say anything, if I object about anything, and I, I might lose my opportunity to share Christ. There are times when we should be bold for the cause of Christ, and though at sometimes we are anything but that. You know, I think about the stories that, that we read of the old-time martyrs or the many martyrs since those times being burned at the stake for their faith, being killed by horrible means because of their faith. And, and I, I, I would hope that I would be strong enough in a moment like that that I would stand strong and I would not deny my Lord But I wonder sometimes if I can't stand under some peer pressure, what makes me think that I would be strong enough in the face of death? And that's how it was with the disciples. Our passage today is a lesson of weakness. A lesson of weakness. Jesus predicted their defection, He predicted their desertion. But it was a profound and unforgettable lesson for them, a lesson which I believe changed the course of their life. Of all the things that Jesus could have said to them, of all the things that he could have warned them about, of all the the issues that he could have talked about, you know, about the future when when after he had left and all that they're going to be involved in, he chose to bring up the fact that they were all going to desert him. 
You see, if the disciples were supposed to take the message of Jesus Christ to the world, they had to be strong. And the first step in strength is to learn how really weak we are. And that's a lesson Jesus is teaching them here in our passage this morning. It's an important lesson about their own human weakness, about their own inability to live up to the standard that they say they affirm. All of us face that same kind of thing, and and we need to learn that we don't have the strength in ourselves to handle that kind of situation unless we recognize our weaknesses and learn how to depend on the Lord. And if we think that we can do it all in our own strength and our own wisdom, we're going to fail miserably. In our passage this morning, Jesus tells his disciples that they're all going to run away. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. You see, they all affirmed what we would like to be able to affirm, right? That's what we would like to stand on. They thought their love for Christ was greater than it was. They thought their spiritual strength was greater than it was. They thought their ability to handle Satan was greater than it was. They, as Proverbs 3 puts it, were leaning on their own understanding. And when it came down to the very moment of having to take that stand, when Christ was arrested there in the garden, uh, verse 56 near the end of the chapter, our, our chapter says, Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. When it came down to the moment of trial, they all fled. Why? Because they were trying to stand in their own strength. So Jesus here is actually teaching the disciples a strengthening lesson through their weaknesses, warning them about the inadequacy of human strength, the inadequacy of, spe- uh, of self in spiritual warfare. Folks, no Christian is really exempt from situations that can cause us to be ashamed of Christ. Yes, even pastors, myself included, are not exempt. You remember Pastor Timothy, to whom Paul wrote two letters. He was trained and mentored and traveled with Paul. Paul saw something in this young man, a spiritual strength to cause him to uh, place Timothy as pastor of, of a church. And yet he found it necessary to write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For this reason I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid. It's not a spirit of fear, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Then in verse 12 of that same chapter there in Timothy, Paul says, That's why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom what I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Are we convinced? Listen, there is no place in the life of a believer, of a believer for shame regarding Christ. 
Paul speaks very strongly to that in Romans 9.33. Whosoever believes in him shall not be ashamed. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus himself says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. He's talking about his second coming that we saw in Matthew 24 and 25. And I think they are going to be some to whom Jesus is going to say on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. You're ashamed of me. Being ashamed of our faith, being ashamed of Christ, is a serious matter to God. And I don't think there are a lot of Christians that really take that seriously. So what Jesus is actually doing here is giving a lesson about restoring and strengthening, strengthening the deserting, defective, uh, defective, perhaps defecting disciples. So we come to verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount, Mount of Olives. Now remember, last Sunday we talked about Jesus and the disciples celebrating the Passover in the upper room there, uh, having that feast together. And Jesus had just transformed the meaning of the sacrificial lamb, uh, taking it off of remembering the, the, the sheep that were slain 1,500 years ago at the time of the Passover to representing now his body and his blood, blood for the Lamb of God slain for for us. And then from that meal, then they go out to the Mount of Olives on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, which apparently was at the base of the Mount of Olives. And Jesus stops because he's got one more thing to say to them. And this time it's a warning. They've got to learn this great lesson that strength is born out of a recognition of weakness, not out of a recognition of strength. And as we take a look at this passage, we're going to see the amazing contrast between Christ and the disciples. And we're going to actually see that in a number of ways. First of all, there's a contrast between knowledge and ignorance. Let's take a look at the ignorance first of all. It's it's amazing how ignorant one can be when they're full of their own knowledge, right? You've met people like that. We find Peter saying in verse 33, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now, was Peter just bluffing when he said that? No, I don't think so. I, I think at that moment he really meant it. I really do. I, I, believe, I, I think he actually believed it. But it turns out that he was speaking out of ignorance, a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. Even in verse 35, Peter makes an even stronger statement, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. But he didn't know that. That's what his desire was. That's what he was thinking, but he didn't know. He couldn't affirm that. And as it turned out, it was an ignorant statement. And it says, and all the other disciples said the same thing as Peter did. They were all ignorant of their own weaknesses. They were ignorant of the strength of Satan. They were ignorant of the power of the test that they were going to face in just a few hours. They were ignorant of so many things, even the Old Testament prophecy that Jesus quoted as he was talking to them in verse 31, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But over against their ignorance is the amazing knowledge of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. 
Now, the word translated here as fall away is interesting. The King James uh, Version translated as offended. But the, the literal meaning refers to something that is going to happen, quote, to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert the one whom he ought to trust and obey. Something is going to happen to cause them to fall away. Something's going to happen to see in another what I disapprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging his authority. And what is that thing? Jesus says it's himself. It's what they were going to see happening to Jesus, and it's going to scare them. And fear is going to take over. And when fear of something takes over, we begin to doubt God and to trust ourselves and try to save ourselves. That's exactly what they did, and Jesus knew they were going to do it. This very night, Jesus said, you will all fall away on on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And in verse 34, he specifically says to Peter, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He knew. Jesus knew. He knew it would happen that night. He knew it was going to be because of him. He knew they would be so afraid and distrusting to the point where that very night before the rooster crowed, Peter was going to deny him that he even knew him. He knew they would never pass that trial that night in their own strength. Jesus knew everything. And it wasn't like he just kind of had a premonition and it was kind of going along with it or resigning himself to it. He knew the whole story of all and all the details. He knew the whole redemptive plan of God, and he stepped into it with purpose. He could see all the Old Testament prophecies all coming to pass. And it focuses basically in verse 31 on an Old Testament prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, that, that he quotes... And he sets it up by saying, This very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written. This is God's plan. It is written. This isn't some event that's happening because of something that Judas wants to do. This isn't something that's happening because the Jewish leaders um, hate me and their plan is coming together. This is God's divine plan. It is written. And then he quotes Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will will be scattered. Now that passage in Zechariah is is fascinating. Jesus just pulls one phrase of it, actually the second half of the the seventh verse. But I want to show you something. Verse 7 starts out by saying, Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty, obviously God himself is speaking here. And he's telling his sword to wake up. Now, we know that a sword is obviously an instrument of death. And God is saying, sword, it's time to do your thing. Awake sword against whom? Against my shepherd. That's got to be Jesus. He is the great shepherd. And then he describes, uh, God describes him in a different way to make sure that we know that if we're talking about Jesus, the Messiah, against the man who is close to me. Ah, oh, come on, Pastor, that could be anybody. I mean, David was called uh, a man, uh, in, uh, yes, 
After all, God's own heart. Thank you. Um, but here, the, the word man is not the generic word for any old man. It's a word for a man of great strength, a mighty man. Now, okay, there, there were mighty men around. But not just a mighty man, but a mighty man who is close to me. How close to God is he? The word actually means equal to. Isn't that interesting? The mighty man equal to me. Who is equal to God? <laughs> Christ. Who's God's shepherd? Christ. Who's the mighty shepherd? Christ. And then Jesus quotes the second half of verse 7 where, where we find God speaking to the sword. Strike the shepherd. And the sheep will be scattered. And Jesus takes that and gives it an immediate interpretation, referring to the fleeing of his disciples. But in the grander scheme of things, he knows that his disciples and their actions actually represent the rest of Israel who are going to flee from Christ as well, not acknowledging that Christ is a Messiah. And then the rest of that prophecy talks about the remnant that he will gather in the end during the time of tribulation. But again, in the immediate, Jesus knows that even though the disciples will flee there in the garden, when he rises again, he will regather them and empower them to go out and preach the gospel around the world. Supernatural divine knowledge of Christ compared to the ignorance of the disciples. Amazing. Jesus truly is a King of kings and Lord and lords. His, his majestic, he majestically knows everything, every detail in its perfect place. Secondly, we see a contrast in courage and cowardice. When Jesus said to them in verse 31, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. Another nuance of the word to fall away in the Greek is to, to feel trapped into doing something. Have you ever felt that before? Just kind of trapped and you didn't, weren't sure exactly what to do? He's saying you're going to hit a trial that's too much for you to bear and you're going to be trapped. All of you are. And what was the trap? Proverbs 29.25 tells us that the fear of man brings a trap. Isn't that Interesting. Fear of man brings a trap. And they were afraid. They were afraid of what the Romans would do to them. They were afraid of what the, the religious, looters, uh, religious rulers and other Jews were going to, might do to them. And when they saw all those soldiers coming in, in verse five, 55 of the same chapter with all their clubs and their swords and torches, they fled because they were afraid. This very night you will all fall away on account of me. They were caught in this catch-22 kind of situation. And because of their fear for themselves, they fled. It's not easy to be caught in that kind of a situation, is it? Kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Either way, it could go bad. They're afraid of what's going to happen. They're ashamed to be identified with Jesus Christ. It's not that they don't love Christ. I'm not saying that at all. I think they, they did. I know they did. Not that they don't want to be true to Christ. I believe they did. They wanted to. But they're just afraid. They don't have the faith to believe that the Lord can, what? Deliver them. Very simply, they didn't trust Him enough at that moment. Now, in contrast to that, we see the courage of Christ. He stays the course. 
He stays the course as he moves towards the cross, committing himself to the Father, entrusting himself to the Father and to his Father's plan, come what may. Not my will, but yours be done. Whatever it is that you want me to do, Father, I will do it. I trust you. I put my life into your hands. But the disciples at that moment couldn't do that. When we act out of fear, we are no longer trusting God. When we are ruled by fear, there is no peace. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, it says, Do not fear. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We've read that verse many times. Well, what, 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 what can we do about that if we are afraid? Well, David in Psalm 34 found the answer. I sought the Lord. That's a novel idea, right? I sought the Lord. And He answered me. Wow! And delivered me from all my fears. Think about that. Meditate on that verse. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If we go to Christ, He will deliver us from our fear and give us peace. In every aspect of our life, in the midst of the frightful things that are going around about us, There's a third contrast that I see in this passage, and that is a contrast between power and weakness. The disciples were afraid to face the moment because they were weak and they couldn't handle death. That's what scared them. In verse 32, however, Jesus says, "...but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee." The Lord faced death with amazing courage because He knew because he knew he had the power over death. The disciples at that moment knew they didn't. And they weren't at the point where they could commit themselves to the one that did have that power. They still lacked that faith. Paul tells us in Romans 6.4 that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. And knowing that, Jesus said, but after I have risen... In his mind, it was a done deal. He was sure. He knew. He was going to rise. He committed himself to the power of God, to the divine power over death. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that he came to conquer death. He came to destroy him who has the power of death. Speaking about Satan. Christ's power was so great that he faced the cross because he knew there was power there to conquer the cross. And to conquer death. And he took on that death as an enemy to be defeated. The disciples showed their weakness. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not denigrating the the disciples at at this point. But that's why this lesson in weakness was so important for them to learn. And so important for us to learn. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know what? 
Among other things, listen, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as a mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Knowing his incomparably great power. Folks, that's just not head knowledge. Yeah, I know. When does it become heart knowledge? Jesus expects us to use, to put into practice, and to depend on that power that he has put in us. Folks, when we are fearful, and when we feel that we are weak, we need to remember that we have that same power that was exerted to raise Christ from the dead. That's amazing power. When we succumb to fear and weakness in the face of trials, we doubt and even deny the power of Christ in us. Remember the story of Abraham when God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac? You know why Isaac, uh, excuse me, you know why Abraham was willing to do that? Because he had confidence in God's ability to raise Isaac from the dead. He knew God could do that. And then he acted upon it because of his knowledge. Jesus himself demonstrated his power over death in a number of situations, but obviously the, the, most, uh, the most obvious one is raising, raising of Lazarus. But he says here, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He promised them that he'd be back to lead them. And is exactly what he did. And, and, and that lesson became a reality for them on the other end. As they came to believe and act upon the power of Jesus in their lives. And that's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, My strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. In weakness. We have to learn to stop trusting ourselves and trust him. And that's a continual process. The fourth contrast that we see here is a contrast between pride and humility. Pride and humility. We hear the pride expressed by Peter in verse 35. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And because of his pride, he doesn't listen very well. He doesn't learn very well. He was so sure of himself. He was so proud in his own strength, in his own wisdom, that he didn't listen to Jesus. You know, I didn't realize this, but Jesus tried to teach him this very same lesson already earlier in the evening, just a few hours before. The, 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 the same conversation happened in the upper room. Listen to the conversation coming from John chapter 13. Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus said, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And now just a few hours later, Peter doubles down and says to Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And Jesus again said, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter triples down, but Peter declared, even I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Three times in one night. 
He just doesn't listen. He's got a lot of pride and so much self-confidence. He's sure of himself. But there's one more part of this lesson in pride that Jesus teaches him, and we find that in Luke chapter 22. And this is during the supper in the upper room. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Satan is going to shake you all up in a way that you cannot imagine. And you're all going to fall away from me. You're going to have a hard fall. And you're going to succumb to the sin of doubt and fear. But Jesus says, I prayed for you. And and you'll come back stronger than ever. And you'll have victory in your life and be able to show others what true faith and trust in God's power is all about and help them to be strong as well. And even after Jesus says that, Peter says in Luke 22, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. It takes a lot of chutzpah. A lot of pride to contradict the Lord. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, Peter. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. Peter's pride was evident in the fact that he contradicted the Lord. Lord, you're wrong. I won't deny you. We see it in the fact that he claimed that he was better than everybody else. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. We see his pride in the fact that he trusted in his own strength. I will die with you. I will not deny you. And you contrast that with the humility of Christ as he humbly obeys his Father's plan, as he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Is that how it ends? No, thankfully. It doesn't end that way. The final contrast between desertion and restoration. Desertion and restoration. We have to go back to verse 32 to see that. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. What he is expressing is that when he rises from the death, a sure thing is absolutely going to happen. He will go ahead of them. He will, he, he will uh, go before them. He will once again lead them into Galilee. In spite of everything they did to desert, in spite of the cursing that we find a little later in the passage, and the swearing, and the denial, and the fleeing, and the forsaking, and despite of all of that, Jesus was loving, he was merciful, and he was restoring. What an encouragement to us, folks. What an encouragement, though we may fall. Though our kids may seem to have deserted Christ, Jesus stands with open arms to accept them back and restore them when they turn around and come back to Him. So did the disciples learn anything? Did they learn their lesson of weakness? Boy, did they ever. Here's a quick example, a lesson learned and implemented. In Acts chapter 5, Luke says that the Jewish council in Jerusalem called the apostles uh, in and had them flogged. They were uh, whipped, they were beaten. 
Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Government order. So did they run off cowering with their legs between their tails? <laughs> no. Listen. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Boy, that's a difference, huh? Difference in attitude. Day after day, it says, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They became bold, depending on the power of Jesus Christ. The lesson of weakness and the power of God. You know, I thank the Lord for teaching us step by step how to trust Him and to see His power at work. You know, I've, I've thought about this a number of times. The Lord had told me when I was 18 years old, when I said yes to the call to ministry and to the mission field, if He had told me of all that He was going to put my wife and I through over the next many years, I might have said, no thanks, Lord. Don't want to do that. But you know, one by one, as he took us through near-death illnesses, homes being broken into a number of times, a carjacking at gunpoint, clandestinely going into a creative access country to, to minister, and then being kicked out of the country by the government. <laughs> In each instance, moment by moment, he taught us to trust him. That's a lesson that we find in Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Folks, that promise has never changed. God doesn't change His mind. God doesn't change His promises. It was a lesson that Jesus was teaching His disciples and it's a lesson that he wants us to learn as we follow him as well. What areas are we struggling with in our lives? What fears are we facing? What doubts are troubling us? You know, it's easy to, to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. What does that mean to you? Is there a limit to how much we trust him? He's saying, do not fear, for I am, present tense, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do we believe that? Father, this morning... It's so easy to be fearful of things that go around about us because we don't understand. We don't see perhaps a bigger picture and, and uh, it, it can be scary. But Father, we, we know what your promises are. We read your promises and we know that we can depend on your promises. They never change. And Father, I pray that if there are areas in our lives that are making us fearful, that are making us doubt, I pray that your Holy Spirit just to speak, speak into our lives and say, you don't have to be afraid of that or that or that. 
Trust me. You don't have to doubt because my word says this is what I'm going to do. Trust me. Father, this morning I pray that you would take us to the next level of trust and faith in you in every aspect of our life. We're going to praise you and glorify you because you are with us and you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen.